2 Samuel chapter number 9, David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? There was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. When they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. The king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. The king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. The king sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. He bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? And then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But, for, but Mephibosheth, the master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded a servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. He was lame on both his feet. Father God, I thank you for this book. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your teaching. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you love us in spite of us. God, I thank you for your presence here this morning in the midst of us. God, I pray right now you do something mighty in this place. And God, I pray you'd speak first to me that you might speak through me. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would stand so close to me that I might be speaking your words. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this place this morning. God, I'm asking you to break hearts this morning. I'm asking you, God, to move on everybody in this campus, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what only you can do. And sit down in the lap of everybody in this place and speak a personal one-on-one -on -one message to each one. God, I pray this morning that those that need to be broken would be broken. But God, I pray especially for the ones that are already broken. And God, I pray this morning that broken lives would be mended. Broken marriages would be restored. Broken homes would be put together. Broken children would be regained. God, I pray this morning you do mighty things in this place. God, I ask these things because I trust in you. I believe in you. I know that you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or think. And I'm asking this for these, your people, God, that you'd move in this place this day. 
Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was studying Friday, and I studied on Mephibosheth a little bit. I, I really couldn't get the message. I, I don't know. I, I thought maybe I was studying the wrong thing. I finally got up about lunchtime, came to the church, did some stuff. I just never could really put it together, but I realized now I wasn't ready to receive the message yet. There were some things that had to happen before I could be really ready to understand what I was really preaching. I was studying it. I was seeing it. I was reading it. But there's a big difference between reading it and learning it. There's a big difference between between preaching it and living it. And, And I needed to live some things before I could understand how to preach some things this morning. And it started out with a broken figurine. And before the morning ended, it moved into a phone call about Wayne, more brokenness. And as I started back studying, it moved into a text message about Lincoln Cooley, more brokenness. And the more I tried to study, it seemed like the more brokenness was there. Because, see, I got up Saturday morning as normal, coming through the house, and it's dark, and through the kitchen, I come into the hallway, there's a cabinet, and I just reach behind the cabinet and Flip the light on, and, and in the darkness, I bumped the cabinet, not really any harder than any other time, but it didn't work out too good. I bumped the cabinet, and I started hearing unpleasant noises as things fell and fell and fell, and it ended with something hit the floor, and it obviously broke. When everything got quiet, knowing things can't be very good, I turned the light on. To be honest, the, the plaque that you gave Robin about a year and a half ago, all I need is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. That plaque sits on a plate stand there on that shelf. And, and I don't know, for whatever reason, the plate stand obviously failed back. So I don't, I don't know what happened. It was dark. But apparently it slipped off and, and it landed on its back. But in front of that plaque, was a couple of little figurines. They're called Hummels. And that Hummel had fallen and, and hit the floor, and, and it was broken. And I'm going to go study on Mephibosheth, but her legs were broken off. See, normally... You would just pick up all the pieces of this little figurine. It's just a little porcelain figurine, right? And you'd pick up the pieces and you'd gather them up and you'd go in and you'd drop them in the trash. And that would be that. Even though it is a hummel, and some of these hummels are worth tens of thousands of dollars, but this one is worthless. You don't want this one. Regardless of how good it's put back together, it scratches, cracks, flaws, it's broken. No collector is ever going to buy this thing, regardless of what it would be worth. No collector would want it because they want everything perfect. A collector wants to say.
Collector wants to see things in perfect condition. They don't want to hear about your problems. They don't want to hear about your brokenness. They don't want to hear about your troubles, your trials. They don't care about none of that stuff. They just care about worldly stuff. For, for a collector, this thing, they wouldn't pay a penny for it. They wouldn't even let you sit it in their shop. Because for a collector, it has to be in mint condition, and it has to be in the original box with the letter of authenticity with it for it to be worth anything. So the truth is, this little figurine to everyone on this planet is worthless because it's broken. But to me and my family, she's priceless because my mom gave it to me. So it means more to me than it's ever going to to you. Here in our story... We have a young man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, in his day, is worthless. He's useless. He's, he's of no good to anybody. He's no use in the world. He is of no account. The story that the Bible tells is there was a war back when he was small. Somebody ran into his gate, picked him up. They were running with him. They, they obviously tripped and fell. And as they fell, I guess they landed on the boy. But the Bible says that he sustained a severe injury, obviously, because ever since that day, he's lame in both of his feet. He can no longer walk. So in the day when this boy was alive, he is absolutely worthless. He will never be a soldier. He'll never be able to work in the field. He'll never be able to do anything for the king. He'll never be able to do anything worthwhile for anybody he is absolutely worthless he he is destined in his life to be for the rest of his life nothing more than a beggar not only is he worthless in his day and not only is he a beggar would could only be nothing more than a beggar or somebody for somebody to take care of but he could never be in the presence of a king all you got to do is read through the Bible and you'll understand that nobody could come into the presence of the king with a, with a frown on their face. You couldn't come in in sadness. You couldn't come in in tears. You couldn't come in with problems. You read Nehemiah and you'll, you'll see it. Read the book of Esther. You'll see it. In many cases, you'll see that you can't come in the presence of a king with sadness on your face. Much less to be lame. Much less to be crippled. To be broken or to be missing body parts so there's no way that he could ever come into the presence of the king but David is no ordinary king David is a man after God's own heart many years ago after uh, some fighting with the Philistines and battles have been won and they come back into town and David's been made captains over army and stuff the women are singing and the women are talking and they're singing praises they sing that Saul has slain his thousands and David is ten thousands and let me just read the passage to you because it really makes Saul mad it's in first Samuel chapter 18 beginning in verse number one it came to pass when he made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan this would have been Saul's son Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and he loved him as well as his own soul. So we have these two that are very close-knit. They are very tight, tighter than blood brothers. They absolutely love each other. They are best friends, Jonathan, the son of Saul, and David. In verse number 2, Saul took him that day and let him go no more home to his father's house. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And 
Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out with us wherever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, also in the sight of Saul's servant. It came to pass, as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of the cities of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. Saul heard him singing this. Saul wanted all the glory. This is a man full of pride. This is a man full of selfish ambition. He wanted all the glory. He didn't want anybody else getting any praise and any credit. Now, after some time had passed, and Saul has made some attempts on David's life. He's tried to kill him now. He's trying to, to get rid of him. And in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, David said to Jonathan in verse number 10, Who shall tell me, or what if thy father answereth thee roughly? Jonathan said unto David, Come, and let us go out into the field. And they went both of them out into the field. And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father, about tomorrow, any time, or the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, then I send not unto thee, and show it thee. The Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do thee evil, then I will show it thee, and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace, and the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. Thou shalt not only, while yet I live, show me the kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one of them from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. So what we see is that David made this vow many years ago that I will take care of Saul's family. I will take care of Jonathan's family. Even if Saul is gone, even if Jonathan is gone, David has a vow that says, I will take care of Jonathan's family. Now that brings us back to our text this morning. Is there anybody in the house of Saul that yet remaineth that I might show kindness? Is there anybody? Not is there a soldier, not is there there's someone masculine and handsome, not is there someone worthy, is there anybody that I can show kindness? See, that is as great a picture of you and I as there is in all of the Bible. Because Jesus says, is there anybody of the sons of Adam? Is there anybody of the human race? Not, is there anyone worthy? Not, is there anyone who is whole? Not, is there anyone who is complete? Not, is there anyone that I need? Is, is there anyone that I can show kindness unto you? That was God's thought process the day he came looking for you and I. And rest assured, he came looking for you and I. You didn't go looking for him. You hear people telling the story and they talk about something and say, oh, he found the Lord. No, I'm sorry, but the Lord ain't never been lost. 
He, he wasn't looking for the Lord. The Lord found him. Even you and I, we did not find the Lord. He came and found us. Most of us, the, the story most of the time is we got saved in some church service. I know some are on the street preaching, some are at all different kinds. But the majority of the testimonies you hear involve something to do with the church service. But on the day you went to church and on the day you got saved, you did not go looking for God. You went because your mom and daddy made you. You went because your grandparents asked you to. You went because your boyfriend, girlfriend begged you to. You went because your husband, your wife made you go. But you didn't go looking for God. God came there looking for you. God didn't come looking to see if your legs had been broken. God didn't come that day looking to see if you were whole and complete. God didn't come that day to meet with you to see if you were worthy. God already knew you were broken. God already knew you were incomplete. God already knew that you were unworthy. That's why he came looking for us. Is there anybody that I can show kindness to? Is there anybody that I can bless? Is there anybody that I can bring into the king's palace? Is there anybody that I can give a seat at the king's table for all of eternity? Is there anybody? I just want to show kindness. The 23rd Psalm says, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Our enemy is Satan. Our enemy is the devil. Not only is the devil our enemy, but he is our accuser. He is the one who accuses us before God of sin and wrongdoing. Now, here's the beauty of all the story. He's not accusing us of things that we did not do. He's accusing us of the things that we did. This isn't like when they're trying to find accusations against Jesus and they're paying people and trying to get people to lie and make things up. You and I really did those things. You and I really committed those sins. We really offended those people. We really went to those places. The devil is accusing us of stuff that you and I really did and God has prepared a table for his children that we can sit down and eat at the table of the king and all the accuser can do is sit there and watch you eat. And do nothing about it. We pull up to the king's table that God has prepared. You look down and you see that big old bowl of grace. Hey, pass me that, pass me that grace, please. And they pass down that big old bowl of grace. You dip you out a big old scoop of grace. And you put it down on your brokenness. And you look back in that bowl, it's still full. There ain't nothing missing. So you get out another scoop and you put it down on your worthlessness. And you look back in that bowl and it's still full. There ain't nothing missing. So you get a big old scoop and you put it down and you pile it on all of your mistakes. 
And you pile it on all of your failures. And you pile it on all of your crippleness. And you pile it on every mistake you ever made. You pile it on top of all of your brokenness. But every time you look back, the bowl is still full because God's grace never runs out. God's grace does not concern itself with your background because it's not worried about where you came from. It just keeps on giving. You take that grace and you pass it down and you look. That that bowl of mercy sitting over there. Pass that. When, When you get through that bowl of mercy, how about pass that bowl of mercy down this way? I I need a little bit of that. As it's coming, you start thinking about every mistake you ever made. Start thinking about every sin, every shortcoming, every failure. You take you out a scoop of that and you you put it right on top of that mistake. You look back and it's full and you think of another time when you let God down. You dip out another scoop of that mercy and you put it down there. And you look back and it's still full. And then you think about another time when God should have written you off. But he just kept on loving you. And you dip out another scoop of that mercy. And you put one on top of all your sins. And on top of all your mistakes. And on top of all your disappointments. And you put one on top of everything that you ever did wrong. And you sat at the king's table eating plates full of grace and mercy. And all the enemy can do is what you sat at the king's table. And there's nothing he can do. There's nothing he can change because mercy isn't concerned with your past. It just keeps on forgiving. You sit there with grace mounted up on your plate and mercy piled up over here on your plate. and You look back there and you see that bowl full of love. Hey, when you get through with some of that love, how about pass that bowl on over here? John chapter 15, verse 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Grace does not concern itself with your background. It just keeps on blessing you. Mercy does not concern itself with your past. It just keeps on forgiving you. And love does not concern itself with your condition. It just keeps on loving you anyway. Three times here in our story, three times in this story, the Bible mentions that he is crippled. He is of no use to the king. He can never be a soldier. He can never be a king's cupbearer. He can never work the fields. He can never be a guard at the gate. He is absolutely of no value to the king. But grace says, where is he? Grace says, tell me where he is. Then it says, go get him and bring him to the king's table. Let me show you something here in the story in our text. If you ever have any doubt that God loves you, if you have any doubt at all that God will come to you just where you are. If you have any doubt that God will bless you just like you are, look real quick again. Let's look at the first six verses in our text, 2 Samuel chapter 9. I want to read them one more time. David said, Is there yet any 
that is left of the house of Saul. Any that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. There was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they called him unto David, the king said to him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And the king said, and he said unto the king, He's at the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him, pay attention, out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. David found Mephibosheth. In the house of Machir, in the town of Lodabar. The name Machir means sold. As like into slavery. That describes you and I in every person on this planet. We were sold into sin. We were slaves of sin. We were living in the house of slavery captive to sin, slaves of sin. We had no hope, and we had no way out. The only way for somebody that is a captive to be set free is for someone to purchase them, pay the price in full that they might then turn around and set them free. <coughs> Jesus paid the price in full. Jesus purchased our unworthy soul so that he might set us free. Isaiah 61.1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to them that are bound. John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. The servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Jesus knew where to find you and I. We were slaves. We were captives. We were in the house of sin. He knew exactly where to come looking for us. But he brought all of his holiness and all of his righteousness into all of our filthiness because he knew where to find us. And he said, is there anybody that I can bless? So not only is he here in the house of Machir, but he's in the city of Lodabar. The name Lodabar means without fields or without grass. So what we find out is that the house of one who is sold, and he is in a town that is a desert land. It's a wasteland. It won't even grow grass. And anything that won't even grow grass is worthless. You can't even raise a crop there. So he's in this place, which means worthless, and even his name means shameful. So here's what we have in this young man in the story. He is sold. 
He is worthless and he is shameful. David said, go get him and bring him to the king's table. See, to this world, you may be worthless. You got some cuts, some scratches, some dents and dings. You've been beat up and burned up and run over into this world. You may be worthless. You've made some mistakes along the way. Anybody can say amen right there. It's okay. It's not sacrilegious to admit that you've been crippled along the way. You've been maimed along the way. You've made some mistakes. You've had some heartaches. You've been broken along the way. And in the world's eyes, once you're used up, they will dispose of you and could not care less because you are worthless without any value and you have no hope. But there is one who loves you just like you are. He came into your brokenness. He came into your worthlessness. He came in to purchase you just as you are. And the only reason that you and I are here today is because Jesus came looking for us because he loves the broken ones. I studied on this message. God knows what you need. God knows what you need. I'd title it, God knows what you need. I'd send it to Freedom Larry, God knows what you need. And even after going through the, the, the Hummel, and even after with Wayne, and even after um, go, going through all the, the different things that, that happened, and, and, and coming into this morning, I, I realized this morning, God knows what you need, but that's not this story. This story is God loves the broken ones. Is there anybody that I can be a blessing to? Is there anybody? See, I, I don't have any doubt. Somebody in here, it's okay to testify. Somebody in here has got to know that God's a healer. Somebody in here has got to know that God is a deliverer. Somebody in here has got to know that God is a restorer of that which is broken. That God is able to do exceeding abundantly above. All that we can ask or think. God is asking the question this morning, is there anybody that I can show kindness to? Is there anybody that's broken? Is there anybody that's hurting? Is there anybody that feels helpless? Is there anybody that feels hopeless? Is there anybody in need? Is there anybody that I can bless? Because God loves you and it is his desire to bless you and I this morning. God is here to fix some broken things. God is here to take care of you. God is here to meet you in your situation. Meet you in your problem. Pick you up out of your brokenness. Pick you up out of your valley. God is able to move your mountain. God is able to calm your storm. God is able to take you by the hand and bring you up out of your valley. God is able to take care of every situation in your life. All you have to do is bring all of your brokenness. All you have to do is bring all of your troubles. All you have to do is bring all of your trials. All you have to do is bring all of your heartaches. All you have to do is bring all of your failures. All you have to do is bring him all of your disappointments. All you have to do is bring all of the broken pieces. You may not seem important to anybody else. It may not seem like you matter to anybody else. 
But to God, you are everything. To God, you are a special piece. To God, you are priceless. The world may call you worthless, but God says you are priceless. This little girl right here, she is worthless to the world. She means absolutely nothing to the world because she is broken. There's some little marks where I glued her back together. There's some little chips of little pieces that I couldn't get up off the floor. She is of no value to anybody on this planet outside of my family and my home. But in my family and inside my home, she is priceless because we know where she came from. To this world, you may be broken. You may be worthless, but God will put you back together again if you'll just bring him all the broken pieces. Would you stand with me this morning? God, I don't even know where to go from here. God, I preach this message as best as I know how. I'm nothing but a broken vessel full of weakness and full of imperfections and full of trials and troubles. God, this is absolutely nothing if your Holy Spirit don't move here on your people, God. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would move in this place, God. I pray that some broken people would bring all the broken pieces to the altar this morning. God, I pray that some broken marriages would bring all the broken pieces to the altar this morning. I pray that some broken children would bring all the broken pieces to the altar this morning. And God, I pray that some broken jobs, broken finances, broken homes, broken situations, I pray they'd bring all the broken pieces to the altar this morning and meet with you, God. I have nothing else to offer. Father, all I have is your word. And your word says, is there anybody, is there anybody that I can show kindness unto? God, I pray this morning you'd move on your people. I pray you'd help us to be pleasing to you, God. Lord, I pray you hear and answer prayers right here this morning, God. I pray you'd move some mountains for some of your children, God, and walk through some dark valley and calm some storms. I pray you will be done in this place, God. Thank you so much. Philip, Lauren Talley. Yeah.
She'll be quick to say to you, she's just doing.